Now turn with me tonight to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17. And I'm going to read from the verse 8 to the end of the chapter. This portion, of course, is a very familiar story. Moses on the mountaintop with the rod of God in his hand. Joshua, the commander-in-chief of the Israelite forces, down in the valley of Rephidim fighting with Amalekak. And whenever Moses held up his hands high with the rod of God in his hand, Israel prevailed. And when his hands grew weary and dripped down, then Amalek prevailed. And of course, they got a stone for Moses. Aaron and Hur at either side held up his hands until well into the evening. And of course, the Israelite forces won a great victory in the name of the Lord. And as a memorial to that, then, uh, Moses built an altar. And as the Bible tells us here, he called it Jehovah Nissi. So we're going to read from the verse 8. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nessai. For he said, Because the Lord have sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Amen. And the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from um, Exodus chapter 17 and the verse 15. And it says, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. And my theme tonight is lessons from the gospel banner. If you look at your margin in the Bible, it gives you the interpretation of Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, my banner. So there's the text for tonight. Exodus 17, verse 15, and there's the theme, learning lessons from the gospel banner. On Friday, the 12th of July, 18 different venues across the province 
hosted the 329th anniversary of the Battle of the Boyne. The Loyal Orange Institution and the Independent Orange Institution were on parade. Yesterday witnessed the Royal Black Preceptorian Parade at Scarva. There was approximately a crowd of about 100,000 people. And of course, what a wonderful day it was, basking in the sunshine and the fellowship. Now, during the whole of the marching season, one of the things that people love to look at is the banners that accompany each local lodge. Every single lodge has its own banner. And as every lodge makes its way along its designated route, its members march behind that banner. And every banner is covered. These banners are held aloft for all to see. They're brightly colored. Many depict Bible scenes, Bible characters. They may even depict individuals who were generals or field marshals at the Battle of the Somme. It's interesting that battle banners have been used for centuries. Banner carrying wasn't invented by the Loyal Orange Order or the Royal Black Preceptory. Banner carrying goes away back into ancient history. Did you know that in ancient history, individual armies carried banners or a flag or, or a standard into the battle? And that banner or standard or flag, it was a bag of identification. You knew who that color represented. It was also designed as a badge of encouragement for the troops to look at and see that if the ensign was still standing, well, they were to carry on fighting. So it was encouragement and help for battle-weary troops. The Williamite army carried orange banners. They represented, remember, the House of Orange in Holland. That, that's why he's sometimes known as William of Orange. Incidentally, whenever I was in Scarva yesterday, I met a lovely man called Ronald uh, from the House of Orange, and he told me the church that he belonged to, and it has a long association stretching all the way back to William, uh, Prince of Orange. Some of family members are buried in the graveyard, and I thought that was very, very significant. He was accompanying the soloist, uh, Miss Emma Brown, uh, who was singing for us in Tandragee and also singing at the Royal Black Preceptory. And um, I've been thinking about the word banners uh, that's mentioned in the Bible. And there's actually six references to the word banner in the scriptures. Um, Psalm 60 verse 4, uh, Psalm 20 verse 5, Song of Solomon 2 and 4, uh, Song of Solomon 6 and 4, Song of Solomon 6 and 10, and Isaiah chapter 13 verse 2. Now, there's synonyms, of course, used for the word banner in the scriptures. Uh, think of the word standard. Uh, think of also the word ensign. Now, whether it's banner or standard or ensign, it's all proclaiming one central truth. And it's this, that God has a banner, an ensign, a standard, a flag to be displayed. And can I tell you tonight 
that I believe that God's banner is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As we said this morning, Jesus Christ is a redeemer who was born for us, who lived for us a sinless life, who died an atoning death for us, who rose again bodily from the dead, ascended for us into heaven, and is coming back for all who know him and trust him as Lord and Savior. And I've already encouraged you not only to think of the text, but think of the meaning, Jehovah Nissi. You young people think again of the margin. The Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nissi is in the Hebrew. And it literally means, as I have said, the Lord is my banner. And I'm saying tonight that God's banner is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The banners that were carried by the Loyal Orange Institution and the Royal Black Preceptory, the Independent Orange Order and other institutions, to me are a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was thinking about the 14th of July, a Sunday evening service, I was asking the Lord for help and guidance, and my mind came to these words, Jehovah Nissi. And my thought, as I've said, was lessons from the gospel banner. So, so that's our text and our theme for tonight. I want you to think of a couple of things. Think of the displaying of the banner. Why have a banner? What's its purpose? Why was it made in the first place? What's it going to be used for? Uh, and in our Tandragi district number four, uh, there was a number of unfurling ceremonies of new banners for local lodges. Now, now, why had those local lodges unfurling ceremonies for new banners? And the answer is very simple. Those banners were made, even at a costly price, so that they could be displayed. Psalm 60 verse 4 says, Thou hast given us a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed. You see, in the 12th of July, the banners are displayed, lifted up for all to see. The banner carriers, whoever they are, they, they hold the banner poles high so that the banner itself is given a very prominent place in front of the lodge, but it's there in that prominent place so that it can be displayed as the individual lodge walks past. The word displayed means to be set forth. Isaiah 13 and 2 says, lift up a banner. So the banner is set forth by lifting it up so that it can be seen and shown. You think tonight of the gospel banner. The Lord Jesus Christ. How he's manifested. How he's displayed. How he is set forth. Remember what John says, 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Here's one of the reasons, the purpose of why the Lord Jesus came into the world. There's another scripture that says he was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. See, the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, Whenever he was in Calvary's cross, remember, he was lifted up. He was displayed. He was set forth. He was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Remember the children of Israel in the wilderness? 
the serpent in the pole. The serpent in the pole was lifted up. And of course, John used that as an illustration in chapter 3 of his gospel whenever he talked about the Lord Jesus being lifted up. It says there in John chapter 3 and in the verse 14. Let me just read it to you. It says there, in John chapter 3, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You think of the hymn writer, Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And there's a principle here. It's not the lifting up of religion. We don't preach religion. We preach relationship. It's not lifting up a denomination and inviting you to join a church or to be a follower of me as a particular preacher. We exist in this church to exalt and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by lifting him up, by giving him prominence and preeminence, by saying that he must have the central place, not only in the life and witness of the church, but in the life and witness of everyone who uh, seeks to know him. We uh, seek to exalt Christ by setting forth the fullness of his person and work. We, we, We emphasize his death and his bloodshedding, and his resurrection, and his ascension. Isn't it interesting tonight, if you turn in your Bible there to the book of Isaiah, look with me at Isaiah chapter 59, and it says there in the verse 19, a very interesting scripture, Isaiah 59, verse 19. It says in the latter part of the verse, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against them. Do you see that? The the word standard there means an ensign, a banner. And you see, whenever the enemy comes in like a flood and the Spirit of God goes to work, one thing that the Spirit of God does is to lift up Jesus Christ because the standard is Christ in the fullness of his person and work and in the face of terrible satanic activity when all hell is against him and against the church but what's the answer? well the answer is Christ because Christ is the answer to every question the end of every spiritual quest And whenever there's a a difficulty in the land, we've got to apply the the person and work of Christ. It was asked to men, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? We can answer tonight, he's son of God. We believe that Jesus Christ was eternally the son of God. He's the son of Mary. We believe in the doctrine of the incarnation and the virgin birth. He's the son of man. He stands head and shoulders above every man. And no matter what the situation is, it no matter what the difficulty is. If we begin to see that situation and difficulty through the eyes of Christ. Let me illustrate that tonight if I can. You take this issue of same-sex marriage. And we would ask tonight, well, what does the scripture say? Or we get asked tonight a slightly different question. What would the Lord Jesus do? Will you think of lifting up a standard? Now, when the enemy comes in like a flood... 
the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And what is that standard? That standard is none other than Christ. So we set Christ forth. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. The Lord Jesus has asked a question here about divorce. But the answer is unique. He's asked, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Notice the answer. Matthew 19, verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning, how did he make them? Made them male and female. And he said, now notice this quotation. Because this is Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. And let's remember that marriage is a divine institution. God instituted marriage in the beginning by bringing a man and a woman together and joined them together so that that man and woman would be husband and wife. So so there's no room in the biblical definition for what is allegedly called same-sex marriage. So when you see marriage through the teaching and the eyes of Christ, then you bow the knee and you submit to the sovereignty of Christ on the issue. Isn't it a real pity that the Methodist Church have forgotten to read that portion of Scripture and forgotten, of course, the teaching of the Bible in relation to this subject? So, So think about the uh, displaying of the banner. Think of something else here that had come to mind. The declaration of the banner. You see, every banner in a local lodge proclaims a message. Let me illustrate. Could have a picture of Queen Victoria on it. Underneath the caption, the secret of England's greatness is the open Bible. In the 5th of November, 1688, when Prince William landed at Turkey with 14,000 troops, the ensign in the ship was the liberty of England and the Protestant religion we will maintain. You could also have a message about Gideon's chosen few. You could have an individual in a rough sea clinging to a cross with the words, my faith looks up to thee. You also can have Prince William on a white charger crossing the Boyne with the words, remember, 1690. You also could have pictures of Latimer and Ridley, two Protestant martyrs burning at the stake. And with the caption, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man, for I trust that by God's grace we shall light such a candle in England that shall never be put out. Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg and Germany on the 31st of October, 1517, with the words, the just shall live by faith. You see, every banner of every local lodge has a particular message. And that message is declared as the banner is displayed. Now, God's banner also has a message. See, the Lord Jesus would come amongst men and he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, of course, is the rule and reign of God in one's life. 
He, he would say to men, repent ye and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. He will say to us, repent ye and believe the gospel. See, see, repentance is an integral part of God's message. Luke 15, except ye repent, that's be sorry enough to quit your sin, ye shall likewise perish. But there's not only a message about repentance, there's a message about reception. One of the greatest texts in the Bible is John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This message of repentance and reception of Christ needs to be heard. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why it's important to come to the house of God and hear the word of God read and preached. But this message needs to be hated. Because at the heart of this message of repentance and reception of Christ is all about God's great love for sinners. But God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible teaches that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It was Solomon who said to the bride, which is a picture of Christ in the church in Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 4, his banner over me is love. And you see, at the heart of this message to do with repentance and reception of Christ is God's love for the sinner. His love for the sinner in sending Christ in the first place. His love for the sinner in speaking through Christ. I love that hymn. We rarely sing it, but we will sing it some of these Sundays. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. Written by Charles Wesley. Did you know the background to that hymn? Let me tell you. John Wesley was in Killyleigh, County Down. He was there preaching in the open air. He was opposed and persecuted by a mob. They threw stones and rotten tomatoes. And the mob turned on them and started to beat them physically. And hound them out of the town. And the preacher, of course, fled. And he hid in a little milk house owned by a lady called Jane Moore. The mob arrived at the house. She invited them inside. She wanted them to see, well, he wasn't in the house. They agreed there was no one here. She offered them tea and said let's have a talk and then as she thought about making the tea she said you know I've got to go down to the milk house and I've got to get some milk so she trotted down to the milk house told Wesley about the mob that was there encouraged him to climb out the back window of the milk house and take shelter across the field in a nearby brook she told him then to follow the path of the brook and it would bring him out nearby to a place of safety so he could be on his way and head to his lodgings for this evening now, I want you to think of Wesley by the brook. We call it a shock. Thankfully, he had some paper with him and a pencil. And he sat there. He, he penned the words. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is nigh, hide me, O oh my Savior, hide, till the storm of life has passed. Save into thy haven guide. Oh, receive my soul at last. And you see, at the heart of God's message is Jesus Christ loves my soul. See, Jesus Christ loves sinners tonight. He loves your soul. 
He says to you, what shall a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And the, and the proof of his love for your soul is in his incarnation, his virgin birth, his sinless life, his atoning death, his burial, his resurrection, the glory. Why do missionaries go all over the world? Africa, India, Asia, China, and other places because they're gripped and constrained by the love of God in Christ. Paul says the love of Christ constraineth me. And when you face life problems and pressures tonight, when you're struggling with sin, when you're overcome by your shortcomings, you, you just remember this. Jesus loves me. Paul says the Son of God who loved me gave himself for me. And that's the declaration of the banner. Christ is God's banner. And what does he proclaim? The love of God in himself. Think very quickly. The design of the banner. Did you know that every banner has unique markings? The name of a district. The lodge is proudly displayed. It's got portraits on both sides, as I've said. William at the Boyne, 1690. The Psalm, the 1st of July, 1916. Latterman, Ridley, put to death at the stake. Maybe a biblical character, Elijah at the Brook. Uh, maybe it's Abraham and Isaac in Mount Moriah, about to put him to death. Uh, Daniel in the Den of Lions. One of my favorites, in a sense, is from the Newry district. And uh, I'm thinking about the place known as Altenafe, and where you had seven uh, Protestant families murdered by the IRA about a hundred years ago for no other reason than the fact that they were Protestant. You see, these particular designs, they, they all stand out. Uh, and they're all there to, to have a particular identification. They have a unique marking. And you know, God's banner has unique markings. I, I think of Christ. I, I think of sonship. I think of sacrifice. I think of service. Those three words sum up the unique markings of God's banner. Because Christ has come as the Son of God. Christ has come to offer himself voluntary as a once and for all sacrifice for sin. You, you think of the blood shedding in my Calvary. You think of the wounds. Behold my hands and my feet. The nail prints that are there in his body. The crown of thorns that crushed his lovely brow. The wound in his sight. Wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Here's the design of the banner. Unique markings. There's unique markings in the body of Christ. In the design of the banner, the banners are used for marching. See, the, the banners were never designed to be stored. It has to be carried. It must be followed after. The loyal orders, of course, march in an orderly fashion and manner. You draw a parallel between the children of Israel and the wilderness. Every tribe, 12 tribes, had its own standard, its own colors. The colors, the standard, would have been erected at the front. And the tribe then marched in formation behind. So, so the banner went before the people. And you can read about that in Numbers chapter 2. The banner, the, the standard, the ensign, the color, goes before each tribe. And the people follow after. In other words, they marched after the banner. It was used for marching. And isn't that the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Savior goes before us. He came into contact with all that we face. The devil, death, hell, and disease, and all the rest. Suffering. 
Is it any wonder the psalmist said, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness? The Lord Jesus leads his own sheep. It says he goes before them as he leads them out. Do you recognize where Christ is positionally tonight? He's before you. He's came into contact with everything you'll ever face in life's journey. I want to ask this question, who are you following? I don't want you to follow mere men. I don't want you to follow a Christ of your own imagination. Do you know that men could turn you from the house of God? The Christ of God, the word of God, the people of God. Isn't that what all atheistic, humanistic, hedonistic professors have done to many young people who have gone to university? They've turned them away from the word of God, the Christ of God, the house of God, the people of God. The Lord Jesus comes and says, follow me. Why? I'm the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. Not only think of the unique markings and the fact that it's used for marching, but think about the, the usual meaning. And with this we'll close. What does the banner mean? Not only is it displayed and declaring a message, but in its design, it's designed to mean something. And you see, let me tell you, it's there for identification. Every individual local lodge that displays a banner Declaring a message, it's saying it represents all that the Loyal Orange Institution or the Royal Black Preceptory stands for. And therefore it's meant to inspire loyalty and encouragement. And you see, our Lord Jesus has been set forth and manifested to inspire love and loyalty and encouragement, living for him and being loyal to him. I get asked the question tonight, do you identify with the Lord Jesus in his person and work? Whose side are you on? Can you say tonight, well, I'm on the Lord's side. If you can't say that, you haven't got a new heart. You're not born again. You don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. But if you can say that tonight, I'm on the Lord's side and I'm looking to him. I'm living for him. I love him tonight, all but faintly and feebly. And I'm loyal to him. And all my encouragement and everything I need, I find in him. Let me tell you this illustration as we finish. There's a true story. In Denmark, the king of Denmark was called Christian X. And he used to ride his horse very early in the morning in the center of Copenhagen. And he was in the round somewhere near the, the parliament building there and he, he saw a very strange sight. And the sight was this. He saw a Nazi flag with a swastika flying high over parliament building. And boy, he was incensed. He was full of rage. I'm the king of Denmark. And that's contravening a solemn agreement. So he, he stopped the German sentry. And he says to him, Sir, I want you immediately to take that flag down. And of course the wee sentry looked at him and said, No, um, we're under a new order to fly the flag, and the flag must stay. And any man that takes it down, well, he's going to be shot. Well, of course, that was putting a bit of fear into you, wouldn't it? King Christian X said this, At noontime... 
I will be back and a soldier from my army will come and take it down. So the wee sentry said, well, any soldier that comes from your army and climbs up there is going to be shot. And King Christian X said, he will not, because I will be that soldier. And you're going to shoot the king of Denmark. And that's exactly what he did. And I thought about loyalty. I thought about identification. I thought about encouragement. And here's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's come into our world. He's son of man, son of God, son of Mary. He has, he has fought the enemy of our souls. He, he, he has won the victory. His banner over us is love. And tonight we can call him Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. And I identify with him. And I find my strength and encouragement from him. And I, I live for him. Come with me. I asked you tonight, do you understand the markings, the wounds in his body? How the Lord Jesus is used to go before us to inspire loyalty and encouragement. And just as the banners and parade yesterday and the day before were used for this purpose, so is Christ set forth in the fullness of his person and the fullness of his work. I leave this thought with you tonight. And I pray that it will encourage and help you as you seek to live out your life. You remember the thought, the Lord, my banner. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to you this evening.